From the mighty to the small, the glory of them all is God's and God's alone. God and God alone reveals the truth of all we call unknown. And all the best change the master plan it's God and God's alone God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne let everything that lives That song goes pretty good with what we're going to discuss and talk about tonight. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 15. Acts chapter 17, verse 15. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 15. It says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and received the commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed they departed. Now, we need to realize that they had been in Philippi some time back. And there in Philippi, of course, we see the jailer being saved and his family. And I mean, just great things taking place. But of course, there's also some real problems. Not everybody's excited about the preaching of the word of God. As a result of that, they're kind of chased out of town and they end up in a place called Thessalonica. There in Thessalonica, of course, once again, tremendous victories, great meetings, but uh, there are those who are not happy again with the preaching of the gospel. 
As a result, once again, they move on or they're removed or told to leave before it's too late. And they end up in a place called Berea. And there, of course, they begin to proclaim the truth. But then those people, some of those disgruntled folks of Thessalonica, show up in Berea as well. Try to mess up all that's taking place there in Berea. As a result, Paul is whisked away and some of the apostles, uh, in this case, he, he gets sent out to Athens. And now he's waiting on Tim- Timothy. He's waiting on Silas. And, and as he's there, he's, uh, he's going to take a walk. Through Athens, And notice here it says, now while Paul waited, verse 16, for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Well, the apostle Paul, I mean, he, he gets there in Athens and he begins to stroll the streets and walk around and he sees all these idols and he recognizes all of these, these different uh, uh, places of worship, and he, he's saying, man, look at this. This is unbelievable. They, they're so deceived, and they're so being so misled, and he was so discouraged by that, and so, I should say, actually, he was so inflamed by that, and the Bible goes on to say that, therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the marketplace, market daily with them that met with him. And then, of course, we know that he meets with some, he talks with others. Notice, if you would, down here in uh, verse uh, 21, uh, well, excuse me, verse 21, yeah. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell and to hear some new thing. So Paul's trying to talk to them. He's trying to give them the truth. They're saying, listen, tell us a little bit more about this Jesus, this resurrected Christ you're talking about. Give us the ends. Tell us more about that. And so Paul stood, stands in verse 22 in the midst of Mars Hill. And this is a very famous message, okay? And if you talk, you hear about, you know, uh, Paul and uh, on Mars Hill, if you may have heard of that. Well, this is the spot that it's talking about. This is the passage that addresses and deals with that message. And Paul the Apostle now in Athens, after seeing the idolatry and, 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 and all of these different uh, um, you know, inscriptions and so forth to the unknown God, as we're going to see here in a moment, gets extremely passionate about what he's going to talk about. It says here, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, worship him declare I unto you. And so, once again, we see here that as he's going through these streets, he notices these gods. He recognizes them being honored by all of these altars. And there's even an altar to the unknown God. I mean, oh my, we would hate to miss one of the gods. So we put one to the unknown God. Just in case there's a God that we've missed, we'll go ahead and put one to the unknown God. We don't want to offend him. We don't want to anger him. We don't want to upset him. So let's make sure that at least there's a altar to the unknown God in the event that we may have missed one. Paul makes note of this unknown God and he says, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I'm going to tell you about the God you've missed. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the God you have, have, have not uncovered yet. And he goes on to describe now, notice he says in verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein. I do think it's important at this point to recognize Colossians chapter 1 that speaks about the Creator. And when it speaks about the Creator, it doesn't just talk about Jehovah God. It talks about none other than Jesus Christ. 
So when Paul's speaking to them now about this creator God, he's talking to them also about Jesus Christ. We're going to note that as we come to the end of his message, but still I think that's important to note in light of what I'm going to talk or speak about tonight. So God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Now, remember, what he's talking about still is these idols. And he says, listen, this God we're talking about, let's not, let's not confuse him with your gods of stone with your gods of, of wood, with your gods of precious metals. No, don't, don't misunderstand it. This is not a God like that. This is not who he is. And he goes on to say here, he says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. I wonder who that is. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. Among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So now, this same Jesus that he's preached at Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea, he's now preaching in Athens. And they have all of these altars and there's inscriptions to the name of each God, but there is one that says unknown. And Paul preaches the unknown God, the one that they had no clue of. He preaches Jesus Christ resurrected. Now, I don't know about you, but I've watched the game Jeopardy. How many of you ever seen that game Jeopardy on television? Yeah, I mean Jeopardy. I mean, you got it's an amazing show really, isn't it? I mean, to tell you, I mean, there's all these categories, there's all these questions, and I mean, the guy gets up there, and uh, what's his name? It's not Pat Sajak, he's the one that runs around with Vanna, isn't he? It's Alex Trebek. I always get those two guys mixed up. They're both about 80 years old, and they look like they're 40. <clears throat> I don't know how they do it. It's got to be makeup, or it's got to be something, either that. I know it's not good living, but nonetheless... Uh, well, I'm, I don't know for here, I guess. But anyway, the fact is, is that what we find is that they've got this game show. And I mean, all these questions and all these categories and so many different answers. I am always amazed how smart some of these contestants are. I mean, they know things. I'm thinking, how do you know that? I mean, what do you do all day? Do you have a life? It's just amazing. I mean, they are. They're just amazing. You know, the Christian life is much simpler than jeopardy. You know, so many times, you know, we go around, if we're not careful, the devil try to trick us into believing the Christian life is very complicated. It's so difficult. I mean, there's so many things that just we don't know about and so many answers we don't have. No, we have the answers, don't we? I mean, jeopardy, there's all these different questions and all these different answers. But can I tell you today that for the believer, 
the answer is always the same? Can I tell you for the lost man or woman, the answer is always the same? Can I tell you for those Athenians there that day and, and they're saying, hey, I got a, I got a, a, a you know, one inscribed to this God and another altar inscribed to this God and another altar inscribed to this God. And I got one to the unknown God because I just don't want to miss out on anybody or make anybody upset. And, you know, the answer for all of their issues and every problem and even the issue with their gods, it's, it's always the same answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. He, he is still the answer. After all these years, whether it was way back in Philippi or in Berea or in Thessalonica, it's still, Jesus is still the answer. All these years later, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is still the answer. And you know, we've got a lot of problems and we've got a lot of issues and a lot of situations in life that we have to face and Boy, I'll tell you, if we're not careful, it feels sometimes like we just, there's just no hope. I mean, if we're not careful, we can throw our hands in there and say, what's the point? But I'm telling you, the answer is still simple. It's Jesus. I understand there's application, and I get there's some principles and practical principles we need to apply. But they're all rooted and grounded in the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ anyway. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But Jesus is still the answer. So today in your life, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're up against. But I know that he's still the answer. I mean, you take Jesus out of the equation, you have no hope. He is life. And and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's everything in between. Jesus is the answer. And again, somebody says, well, that's just too simple. I know we're trying to make it too complicated. I agree. There's some things that we need to address. As I said, there's biblical principles that are wrapped up into Christ that have to be pointed out and ultimately followed. But when it's all said and done, he is the vine and we're the branches and everything we get is from him. And without him, we are nothing and can do nothing. So the Bible teaches. The religious leader said, we need a sign. That's what they said back in Jesus' day. In Luke chapter 11, look if you would there. Luke chapter 11, verse 29 through 30. We need a sign. Jesus is on the earth, and there he is doing all these miracles, and he's seeking to, to draw Israel to himself and ultimately establish a kingdom there on earth. But uh, his people were rejecting him. He came and do his own, and his own received him not, the Bible says. Notice in Luke chapter 11, verse 29 through 30. These religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and they, they, when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall, be no sign, there shall no sign be given them but the sign of Jonas the prophet. You don't need a sign. That's not what you need. The answer is always the same. In verse 30, he goes on to say, For as Jonas was a sign unto the, unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Lord said, The answer is not another sign. The answer is me. I'm the answer. What you need, who you need, is me. You're looking for a sign in the sky. You're looking for a sign of some miracle. No, look to me. I'm the guy. Look to me. I'm the one you're seeking. I'm still the answer. I think of Peter's mother-in-law. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. 
The Bible says, and forthwith, Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, mother, wife's mother lay sick of a fever. That means it's Simon's mother-in-law, okay? So his mother-in-law lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And so they say, hey, listen, you know your mother-in-law is extremely sick. she got a fever. You do know that, don't you? And boy, I tell you, he, he knows that. And, 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 and of course, somebody in the house, I'm sure, is going, you know what? If only we could find a competent doctor. I mean, if only we had a particular antibiotic, we would be set. It would be okay. Everything would be all right. If only we had the technology to heal her and help her, everything would be good. But instead, verse 31, it says, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. It's not technology, and it wasn't some antibiotic, and it wasn't even a doctor in that case. Jesus, he was the answer. He's still the answer. He's always the answer. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Here we have one of those great miracles, one of the, uh, you know, defining miracles of his ministry, the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew, for he, uh, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Well, that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's not a whole lot of bread, is it? Now, I can't really tell you exactly how much bread, but I know we ultimately would have some loaves, right? Five loaves and two fishes. That's not a whole lot. He goes on, Andrew, he says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, say to him, hey, there's a lad here. Who have five barley loaves and two small fishes. We ain't got a lot of money, but we do have five loaves and two fishes. And they said, but what are they among us? What good's five loaves and two fishes and five thousand? That's like somebody telling you, I hope you got, you got, got like we talked about in Thursday night in our, our uh, financial peace series. You know, hey, I tell you what, you got insurance, you got an 80-20 policy with your insurance, and uh, you got a $200,000 bill, you only owe 40000 aren't you blessed? And you're like, it doesn't matter. If I owe 40000 I might as well owe the two hundred, because I can't pay either one. And in this case, they say, we got five loaves and two fishes. They say, what's the big, who cares? We could have 20 loaves and 40 fishes, and it would never be enough for 5000 Now, we would like to really feed all these people, Lord, but there's just not enough. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, as a matter of fact, there isn't even close to being enough. There's no money. There's no food. There's no hope. It's not going to happen. I mean, if we had more money, we could buy more food. If we only had more food, we could share it with more people. If only we could, we had, you know, if only we had uh, 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 some kind of food train, if we only had some kind of, some, some kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, Government assistance. If we had something, anything, it would work. But this is not going to get the job done. John chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said, Maybe the, make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in, in number about 5,000. The men, 5,000. 
That's amazing, isn't it? That means there was a lot more there than 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. As much as they would. This turned into a smorgasbord. This turned into a buffet. I mean, this was a fish fry. An all-you-can-eat fish fry. Is that amazing? Five loaves and two fishes. And they just see, open, 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 open. People just pouring in, getting five loaves, two fishes. Actually, they were seated already. Being served by the disciples. See, the answer was simple. And it's always the same. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is still the answer. 5,000 people, men alone, and five loaves and two fishes. But it was all right. Why? Because Jesus was there. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4, verse 36 through 37. Mark chapter 4, 36 through 37. Here we're going to see, once again, the Lord involved in a situation that was extremely scary, at least for the disciples. It says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, verse 36, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship. So that it was now full. I mean the water and the waves are so large. And the rains come down so hard. The waves are so high. The wind is blowing so much. That now this particular boat that they were in. Is being filled with water. If only we had a larger vessel. Maybe if we had a more experienced crew, we'd be all right. If only we had a stronger engine, we might be able to cut through the wind and the waves. If only we had better weather tracking in which to avoid the storm altogether. If we just need something, we need something. No, we need Jesus. Look what it says in Mark 4, 38. 39, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? <laughs> what are you doing sleeping? We're dying up here. Come on, man. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. I like that. He said unto the sea. He didn't go, Peace, be still. You say, well, that hurt my ears. He didn't have to do that. And if there was a real storm in here, I'd have had to say it that loud for you to hear it. But anyway, he just said, he said, he said, he spoke, peace, be still. I don't think he had to yell a lick. He teaches us a tremendous truth here about raising children, by the way. You ever feel like there's a storm in your house? Do you know what you shouldn't have to do? You should never have to yell. You should simply have to speak. I'm telling you, if you have to yell to get your kids' attention, then you have not taught them how to respond properly. Now, if they're running toward a street and there's a car coming, you go, Stop! What they're going to do is they're probably going to do crazy stuff, like, and, whoops, and everything else. Because they're not used to you screaming like that. They're not used to that. You just scared the bejeebies out of them. Because they're not used to hearing mom and dad scream like that. This must be something really major if they yell like that at me. 
I'm sorry, I just can't. I still, I'm thinking about where, the other night with Adeline. I just love that. Adeline kept playing by the fire the other day. There's a little, you know, one of those three uh, candles, you know. And she kept going like that. She's about, what, two now? She's going like this. And she's always afraid of fire. But I knew tonight, I knew this is the night. I could just feel it. I knew it was the night. So then she puts some gloves on. Smart kid, right? She walks over and she's like, and I said, no, 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 no. I took her gloves off. Because, you know, they light up, you know, and then all of a sudden her hand burns to pieces, right? Can't get them off. And I don't want to burn my hand. So off it comes, right? Next thing you know, here she is. She kind of moseying over. She starts going. And next thing I know, she goes, and I knew, I, this is going to be great. She's like, and she looks around. I said, yeah, it's fun. And then she went. Ugh. And you know how it keeps burning after you take your hand away? I was dying laughing. It was the best. It was so funny. And somebody says, that's so cruel. Why'd you let that happen? She, I won't have to worry about doing that again. She needs to know that that fire's hot. Now, it didn't, she didn't blister up. It wasn't like there's some big old sore and we had to stick a needle in and pus flow everywhere. Nothing like that. That's not what happened, okay? I mean, we're not, we're not crazy, all right? You know, I'm like, you hold your hand there, lady. Don't pull it back. Yeah, you want to play with fire, you're going to get burned. I didn't do that, you know what I mean? Can you imagine her? She's like two years old and I'm holding her arm up there. And she's like, yeah! I wouldn't do that to her, all right? I wouldn't do that. No way. But nonetheless, I, I really have no idea what I'm talking about, why I've even brought that up. But it just, I remember that. It was just so good. I couldn't ex- resist. But you know what? Jesus was always the answer. No matter what. Even in the midst of a storm. And whether it's a storm in our home or whether it's a storm in our life, whether it's a storm in the ministry, Jesus is still the answer. I get it. I know there are some specific things we need to apply and I know there's some principles that need to be addressed. But the fact is, is that they're all rooted in Him, Jesus Christ. Take Christ out of the picture and we have no solution, no real answers to our problems. And may I say today, the cultural problems we experience today, the societal issues that we're seeing going on right now, the problems we're having in our schools with fearfulness of children and shootings and everything else, I'm telling you what the answer is. Jesus is the answer. It's not going to be some government program we put in place. It won't be gun control. It's not going to be anything like that. Because there's still sin at the heart and root of people. It's the Bible and it's Jesus. He is the answer. And He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. All this stuff we talk about is just dealing with symptoms. Dealing with symptoms. we got hearts that are wrecked and ruined by sin. And He's still the only answer to that. We can go ahead and, you know, how, how hypocritical is this? I'm sorry, I had to look it up today because I kept hearing a bunch of stuff. I'm just going to run this by you. How hypocritical is this? 88,000 people died because of alcohol last year. 88,000 people died because of alcohol. 13,000 died because of shootings. When's the media going to get on that one? Let's deal with the real problem that's taking lives in our country. Drugs and alcohol. 
We're going to talk about problems with children that are having issues with mental health issues. Let's get their mamas off a of crack and let's stop giving, let's quit legalizing drugs in our nation. Making legal the very things that are messing up our mamas and then ultimately affecting our children. How hypocritical are we? It's ridiculous today. Because, see, we're always looking for answers outside of this book. That's the problem. Well, I just want answers outside of the person and the only one that is always the answer, and that's Jesus. And listen, you got a problem in your marriage, you got a problem in your relationship with your children, you got problems with your problems at work or wherever it might be. This is Jesus is still the answer, friend. He's still the answer. And we have lost sight of that. Money will never fix this society's problems. Money is the big root of all evil. It's what drives these issues. It's not what solves the problems. And I'm telling you, Jesus is still the answer. Whether it's the maniac of Gadara, whether it's that troubled sea, whether it's a a religious leader looking for a sign or a mother-in-law that's got a fever or the 5,000 people in need of food. Let me tell you something. It wasn't a government they needed. It wasn't some kind of program that needed to be put in place. It wasn't some kind of doctor or professional or some kind of education that was needed. They needed Jesus Christ. And may I say we do too today. We need Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a young person, you're in school, you better get the best grades you can get. And you ought to get as good an education as you possibly can get. And then you use it for the glory of the Lord. Don't you be lazy and settle for a C if you can get an A. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Go to school. Get a college education. Absolutely. If God doesn't want you in the ministry preaching the gospel and he just wants you in, he wants you in the ministry here in the church, but he wants you out in the, the secular world, then you do the best you can. Get the best paying job you can possibly get. Why settle? I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm not anti-education. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-anything. I'm just very pro-Jesus. That's all. Let's not neglect him. Let's not leave him out. So if he's the answer and he's always the answer, why don't more people get it? Well, I don't really have all those answers, but let me give you just three simple ones that I thought about real fast. Some are not ready for the answer. Some people just aren't ready yet. You know, you got a loved one, you got a family member, you got a friend maybe that you're concerned about, you want to see them saved, and every time you try to talk to them, it just seems to go right over their head. Maybe they're just not ready. You say, what's that mean? Well, what it means is that maybe God's got to let something in their life yet to draw their attention, to get their attention. Maybe they're not ready yet. And you know what? It's amazing that... We can reach people at the right times. Have you ever been out soul winning and you knock on maybe a hundred doors and nobody gets saved? And then all of a sudden you just walk down the street and say, I'm just going to hit this one last house and bam. You're like, why is it that house? Why not that one or that one or that one? Because that one was ready. God had prepared that heart. He used a circumstance. He used some situation. See, somebody may be hard and unapproachable, but circumstances have a tendency to tenderize the heart. Our hearts may be like millstone, but boy, an avalanche of hard times does wonder to provide cracks in which the gospel can flood the caverns of our soul. It's amazing. We need to go out in search of that one whose heart has been prepared and been readied by circumstance. And you know, it's just, uh, don't give up on a family member or friend that doesn't get it. That doesn't mean they're, they're, they're bad. It means they're human means the devil's got a hold on their life. Don't quit on them. Don't give up on them. Love them all the more. And then continue to encourage them. 
And ultimately, under the right circumstances, many times if they've been, been given the gospel, they've been being told about Jesus, they've been given the solution over and over and over, when the time comes, they'll know where to turn. And if they don't turn to Jesus, they'll turn to you who will then lead them to him. Some just aren't ready for the answer. You know, and then others, they can't believe it's that simple. You kidding me? It's seriously that simple? Jesus is the answer? I mean, he's the one that can save my soul? Yeah, he's the one that can save your soul. He's the one that can give me peace? Yep, he's the one that can bring you peace. You mean, he's the one that can meet my needs? Yep, he's the one that can meet your needs. He, he's the one that can take the place of, of a broken heart and, and heal that thing? And Yep, he can do it. Now, he may use a lot of people around you to help him with that process, but I'm telling you, Jesus is still the answer. Some people just say, it's just too simple. Come on, there's got to be a bigger formula. There has to be a more complicated issue here. Let's deal with this thing. Let's face it. Well, let's face it. Let's get in the Word of God first. Let's get with Jesus Christ. Because He's still the answer. And finally, three, some are just more blinded by the devil than others. They're just downright blinded. You know, we've got to stop assuming we know what's going on in everybody's lives. We, we just have to chalk it up to spiritual warfare in most cases. We don't know. You say, well, they're just so hard, they'll never come to... You don't know that. Well, so you're telling me Jesus is not able to break through the hardest of hearts? What about your heart? What about my heart? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Turn there if you would. What a tremendous... What an amazing truth this is over here. It's an amazing truth. Again, there's so many things that we do need in our world, in our culture, in our society, and in our, our, our churches, and in our families, and our homes, that we could point to individuals and say, we need this, and we need this, and we need... And those are all things that we probably need, many of them, very important. But take Christ out of it, and none of those things in and of themselves meet the need. He's the answer. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. We're so quick to dismiss the Lord. We're so quick to run to other options. But he's really the answer. And he'll help us to, to know what is essential and necessary versus just what is acceptable or correct in this climate in which we live. Notice 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. through 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. What do you mean hid to them that are lost? Well, verse 4. In whom the God, little g, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. I do think God gets too much credit for disasters in the world. I think people blame him way too often for bad things. See, it wasn't God who turned his back. It was man who turned his back on God. And instead of elevating God in his life and in his relationships, he elevates Satan. He puts the devil and the things that are, that, that are important to Satan ahead of the things that are important to God. And as a result, then, we allow Little G God to have control. And guess what? Little G God does not care about you or your family. He doesn't care about our children. And he doesn't care about grandma and grandpa. All he cares about is him. And this little G God here, the Bible says, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, the light of the glorious gospel is shining. 
when you witness and when you share it, when you read a scripture, his light is shining, friend. But the devil will blind their eyes to the, the light. It's a supernatural warfare. It's a real legitimate battle that we're fighting. But in every single case, Jesus is still the answer. See, it's a spiritual matter in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know that day that you came to the point where you recognized and understood that Christ was the answer? Remember when the light came on? And you said, man, I need Jesus Christ. I've got to be saved. I need to trust Christ in my life. It just came on. It just happened. You might not have been thinking about that just a week week before that or a month before that or even a day before that. But, man, you heard something. Someone shared something from the Word of God. Maybe a preacher preached the message and, bam, just that quick. You went, man, I need Jesus. The veil dropped. The Holy Spirit of God just removed that veil from your eyes. You saw that Christ was the, the light. He was the answer. He's the way, the truth. And the life. You ought to thank God every day you're saved. Because what he did in your life was supernatural. You didn't decide to get saved really that day without his help. You couldn't have done it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can't do anything to be saved but trust the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God started pricking your heart and he pulled that, the shade up, if you will. He kind of, and up it went. And the light came bursting through. And you said, Jesus is the answer. Jesus, He's the answer. Finally, I know what I need. It's Him. Boy, I'll tell you what, what a day that was. What a glorious day that is. Jesus is still the answer. I love that chorus to that, that, chorus to that song, Jesus is still the answer. It goes, Jesus is still the answer. And though time and ages roll, Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. And though some may say that He doesn't fit with their philosophy, I know Jesus is still the answer. He's always been and always will be. Boy, Jesus is still the answer today. And again, whether a preacher like me doesn't present it that well or he messes it all up or he kind of ruffles the feathers in the midst of it all, Forget all of it then if you have to. And remember just one thing. Jesus is still the answer. Hey, listen. No matter how you say it, no matter how you you add it up, He's still the answer. And don't neglect Him, all right? Let's make sure we keep Him big in our life. Big in our marriages and big in our homes. And listen, we need Him to be big in our schools and big in our workplace and big in our culture and our society. We need to make sure that as believers, we're taking him out into the world in which we live. Because he is still the answer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for...